from west to east and kingdom to kingdom, you're listening to the Diz Unplugged Connecting with Walt podcast. Connecting with Walt is brought to you by Dreams Unlimited Travel, experts at helping you plan the perfect Disney vacation. Visit them on the web at dreamsunlimitedtravel.com. Hey there, hi there, ho there, and welcome to episode 195 of the Diz Unplugged Connecting with Walt podcast. I am your host and Diz historian, Michael Bowling, and I am joined by my co-host, executive producer, and good friend, Craig Williams. Craig, how are you today? I'm not doing too bad. How are you, Michael? I'm doing well, and hopefully we are having a grand time at the Give Kids the World Diz Family Reunion right now. Hopefully. If not, that's fine, too. But hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. And and so we are recording this in advance since I am in Orlando right now enjoying that event. So anyway, so but right now I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like we're in all it's like we're in different timelines, you know, we're in our current timeline, but yet we're in our future alternate timeline. Exactly. Too, yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So in, in our current timeline, I do want to bring up uh, we, there is a passing of a film star that did have a small Disney connection. And it was someone that I did meet through the Diz. And as of the day of this recording, um, a top child actress from the 1930s who went on to be very famous in television commercials later on in the 60s passed away today at the age of 95 and that is Jane Withers and she started out uh, acting when I think she was like seven years old or something or eight years old in um, in a a shirt with Shirley Temple In Shirley Temple films, I think it was Bright Eyes. And then she went along and just was in a ton of films all the way up until uh, until she got married. And then she left film in order to raise her family. And then what happened was she uh, then went back into acting and starred with uh, in the film Giant with Elizabeth Taylor. And then she got, and then she started to act on Broadway and television, doing a lot of roles. She was most famous, though, for my generation, is probably playing Josephine the Plumber in commercials for Comet. You know, the uh, stain removing Comet to clean your sinks and all that. And uh, anyway, so that's how how. Um, I think most of my generation really knew her, and in, in, in and then in, in television appearances and stuff like that. But how I got to meet her was actually through the Diz. Uh, uh, Pete Werner, one of the founders of the Diz, and our boss, he invited me a few years ago to a party that the son of Disney artist Sam McKim. We've talked about Sam McKim, uh, you know, drawing those Disney fun maps, Disneyland fun maps, way back in the day, back in the 60s and 70s, that are, are really coveted right now. And so, and his son was working for Disney also. 
and uh, and so I went to this part. Pete took me to this party, and uh, Jane Withers was there, and she was on the couch, and she, I want to say, holding court only in the sense that everybody wanted to meet her. And so I went up and I was introduced to her. And she, I have to tell you, because I thought, okay, this is a big star. And she's just going to say hello, nice to meet you, and that's it. She and I probably talked for about an hour to where I think people were getting upset that I was taking up all her time. She was the nicest person. And I remember th- just being overwhelmed by how nice and friendly and warm she was. And we chatted about all kinds of stuff, just her career and Disney and and her Disney connection uh, for a lot of folks probably know in the sequel, Hunchback of Notre Dame 2, she, um, she took over the Mary Wicks role for the gargoyle. Um, oh gosh, what was the name of that gargoyle? Um, I think that one Laverne. was Laverne. Yeah, Laverne. Yeah, she took over because Mary Wicks passed away partway through her voicing that role, and Mary Wicks took over. And we talked about how difficult it was that she had to completely mimic Mary Wicks and all that. And I have not seen Hunchback of Notre Dame too, so I I, I assume <laughs> it was seamless. <laughs> but um, of course. now I'm going to have to watch it. But I just I wanted to bring this up just because she was a, a very popular actress, but just the nicest, sweetest lady. And I mean lady in the sense of that traditional word where she was very elegant, she was very friendly, but very down to earth. And uh, it was one of the most delightful moments um, I remember, and I remember I had injured my back um, when we went, so I was in a lot of pain, and Pete was always finding me stiff back chairs to sit down in, because he has back problems too, so he's very sympathetic, but I was sitting on like a hassock, you know, talking to, to Mary Wick, um, Mary Wick's Jane Withers in the in, on the chair, and you know, I didn't feel an ounce of pain, because... Um, I was just so entranced by her. So I was very sorry to and I and I've thought of that conversation and that party very often, but um I was very sorry to hear that she passed. So I'm definitely gonna to have to watch Hunchback of Notre Dame too and some of her other films yeah. that I'm sure are out there. Giant's um, great. Giant yeah, Elizabeth Taylor and Rock Hudson, that is a fantastic film. She played, I think, um, oh my gosh, Vashti Snythe, I think, who is the neighbor of um, Elizabeth Taylor and Rock Hudson. Mm-hmm. So, um, and I think she like was like a spendthrift. I think she was like rich uh, from uh, from oil. She was oil money, and she liked to spread it around. <laughs> if I remember her character correctly, it's been some time since I've seen the film. Yeah, but. Um, but anyway, so definitely, uh, apparently she was surrounded by her family and loved ones. So definitely we did this, send our condolences to the family of, of Ms. Withers and her friends. So anyway, she will be missed, but she will be remembered in all her many roles. So anyway, well, 
several times a year. We invite our members of our Connecting with Walt family to become a part of the show by submitting questions for me and Craig to answer. We did this way back last spring. Mm-hmm. And, and, but we hung on to those questions. And questions are generally about Disney theme parks and resorts, Walt Disney's family, the Walt Disney Company, Imagineering, Disney films, and a whole lot more. So like I said, last spring we put out a call out for your questions. In this episode, we're going to answer some of those questions about the theme parks. And then in part two, we will answer all as many of all the other questions as as we can. So today is theme park question day. So oh, it sounds like a Mickey Mouse Club, you know, theme day. Exactly. Yeah. Yes, today is Friday. You know what that means? It's, it's theme park questions day <laughs> so anyway okay all right now i think craig last time i gave you i i selected the first question if i remember correctly when we did this so i think this time why don't you select the first question okay i'm going to start with uh, i'm gonna start with a fun one that okay. i know i can't answer so i i as i'm asking you the question um, I will give you plenty of time to drink water and get that voice prepared for all the talking that you're going to do. But oh, this, <laughs> this question <laughs> comes from Matt saying, I've been a huge fan of the Golden Horseshoe Review ever since discovering it on one of the Walt Disney Treasures releases. I think Wally Bogue deserves to be a household name, and it's a shame Disney didn't utilize him as much after Walt's passing. My question refers to the overall content of the show, particularly with the audio recording available on Apple Music, surprisingly. The songs performed by Donald Novis are all largely themed around Irish culture, about leprechauns and the like, and stick out like a sore thumb to me. I just never associate Irish ballads with the Old West, and these songs come off as anachronistic. Was there a historical reason for these songs' inclusion, were Irish immigrants making a beeline for the American frontier? Was it a request from some higher up that the songs in the show be more varied? There might not even be an answer to this one, but thank you either way. I love the show. Michael and Craig diving into Disney history is often a highlight of Matt's week. Thank you. Thank you so much, Matt. We appreciate the kind words. There actually is a historic reason for why there are so many Irish songs. First, let's get in a little background about uh, the Golden Horseshoe Review, because for a lot of our listeners, this might be before their time. They might not even know too much about the review. The very first show to open on stage at Disneyland was Slewfoot Sue's Golden Horseshoe Review, although they mistakenly spelled it in the beginning R-E-V-I-E-W, and then later changed it to R-E-V-U-E. And this was on the park's opening day on July 17th, um, 1955. Now, the Review's music was was written by Charles Levere, and he was the show's pianist, and he used lyrics by Tom Adair. And the script for the production was co-authored by two of its stars, and you've mentioned them both, Donald Novus and Wally Bogue. And the variety show, and most folks, I think, know this, it ran a record of 39,000 times, and it's in the Guinness Book of World Records as the longest-running musical of all times. Now, the reason there's so many Irish songs in it 
was that this was a vaudeville show. The review was based on old vaudeville shows. Well, at that time, vaudeville was made up of a lot of Irish and other immigrant performers. And as a result, they sung a lot of Irish ballads. So when the review was being developed, that's what the Golden Horseshoe Review was being developed. That's why so many Irish songs and ballads were included in the show as uh, because of that vaudevillian tradition. I, that so, makes perfect sense. So, yeah. you know. Yeah, so there you go, Matt. I always just assumed it had something to deal with, you know, kind of like uh you know, it, it, with Irish ballads and stuff. I I was thinking more along the reasons that he said was it because Irish immigrants made a beeline for the frontier. I mean, I figured Maybe they didn't mm-hmm. all make a beeline for it, but I'm sure a lot of them did if they went out as entertainers and such. But um, well, a lot did, but a lot also um, populated, you know, areas of Boston, yeah, and uh, and you know, and um, New York, and a lot went out to the Gold Rush in California. We had a huge Irish population um, out here. So um, yeah, so the, and and I'm sure many went and you know went out to um, farms and and all that as um, the United States grew and spread. Oh yeah, of course. So we know that from Back to the Future Part Three that uh, <laughs> uh, McFly's uh, a great documentary. Yes, on the, the American Old West. <laughs> hey, the the elder McFly in that did have an Irish accent, and I believe was background uh, was Irish. So uh, we will take that as um, as all the all the knowledge we need in this one. Yes, thank you. Good question. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All righty, let's see. Um, well, okay, here's a... F- oh, it's my turn now. Here is a fun one from Kaylee Sellers. She asked a couple questions. I'm, I'm going to start with one because I think this might take a few moments. She said, Hi, Michael and Craig. I have a few questions. I'm going to take your first one, Kaylee, and then if we have time, we'll circle back on your second one. Um, but her first one is, can you rate all of the Disney theme parks from your least favorite to your most favorite and why? So, Craig, do you want to, why don't you start out first? Okay, I am, I'm only going with the parks I've obviously visited. Uh, there's no sense in me, including Tokyo Disneyland, Tokyo Disney Sea, Hong Kong Disneyland, or Shanghai Disneyland, because I've never actually been to those ones. So I'm only going with the domestic parks as well as Disneyland Paris's two parks. So just I'm putting that context out there right in front. And without a doubt, the worst, well, the worst Disney park of all. And I don't think. I am pretty sure this has to be on the bottom of your list as well, too, is going to be the Walt Disney Studios at Disneyland Paris. That is. Yes, that, you're absolutely right. <laughs> that is the, why is it the bottom of your list? Yeah. Craig? It, it's just a terrible. It is a terrible park. And I know they're going to make it better. And I loved how terrible it was. But um this is this is at the bottom of the list, not just because of the quality of the attractions in the park, because, yeah, they they did have Ratatouille there, you know, and and their rock and roller coaster, Tower of Terror. Uh, the I can't remember the name of the, the show that I, I saw there that they which was closed yeah, when I was there. 
can't even <laughs> yeah, I can't even remember the name of it. I know they show it somewhat Animagique or something like that. Yeah, it was is in that theater, but it, and none none of that matters. There there definitely there was the makings of uh, of attractions that could make a park good, but then you know there there was a lot of bad including their toy story land which is uh, full of off the shelf attractions that are very similar i believe the hong kong version yeah of it. it's pretty standard and i think um where were we i think we were seeing them build the same kind of thing in shanghai yeah that's great yep i forgot about that one too so uh, yeah the the park just didn't deliver on attractions but then also uh, there I, I'm trying to figure out the most delicate way of putting this, but I, I guess it doesn't matter. It's not laid out in a reason, like a reasonable sense. Like it's, it almost comes just as close to Hollywood studios and not making any sense on terms of how it's laid out. Mm-hmm. And it's weird that both of those parks are the, the, the two studios are the ones that just don't have a, a flowing layout that's done well. But uh, Walt Disney Studios is a lot worse than even than even Disney's Hollywood Studios. So attractions aren't great there right now. They will get better as their expansions happen. And then the park is just a nightmare to navigate when you're still unfamiliar with it. So and and it's a concrete jungle. Yeah, there's like no shade. Yeah, minus the the big entrance that you walk through that's covered. Then once you get get oh, out yeah. of that, it's basically that's it. But that's yeah, right. The big Quonset hut yeah, <laughs> yeah. entrance. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so that's that's at the bottom of my list. And I'm and then from here on, I just have to say this isn't anything personal. Uh this is a lot like I, I <laughs> I consider Walt Disney Studios the bottom of the park, and then everything else is like it, it really could change with the day of the week, and you know, one or two good experiences could probably could probably push one up above the next. But uh, it, in terms of my next one, I would put Animal Kingdom, and then after that, Epcot, and then. After that would be DCA, Disney California Adventure. At that point, I'm going to go Disney's Hollywood Studios, followed by Disneyland Paris, followed by Magic Kingdom, and then at the top of the list, of course, Disneyland Park as my number one favorite. Okay. Now, do you have any reasons for some of the placement of these? Uh, So... The hardest one of the placement for me really was Animal Kingdom, where I put it, because in Epcot as well, I know they're lower on the list, but uh, with Epcot being low, that's right now because of the current state of the park and not being sold on its future. I actually, you know, I the last time I went to Epcot, I really enjoyed myself, so I feel like that's why I have it above Animal Kingdom right now, but uh, I've been very open about Animal Kingdom. I I really like certain aspects of it. Like Expedition Everest is one of my favorite attractions. I think Pandora, the world of Avatar has done really well. Festival of the Lion King is probably my favorite stage show mm-hmm. at Walt Disney World. But I just don't have a connection to that park. It just, I it, that, that emotional, that meaningful connection. It's just, it didn't, it, it never connected with me. And I think that's because I didn't visit it until I was 13. 
and whereas I grew up with the other parks. So I had that emotional connection. And I know I know that, you know, you you didn't obviously visit them as a child growing up either, uh, but you still are able to form attachments. And I know because of that, Animal Kingdom is much higher on your list. Oh, it's um, very high on yeah. my list. <laughs> <laughs> I know it is. And like, I, I, I understand. It's always a park that I understand why people love it. I think Imagineering uh, wise, it is it is the pinnacle, one of the pinnacles of how to build a good theme park. But it just emotionally, it just never, never drew me in. And maybe if I would have worked there at one point in time, I, I feel like maybe I would have a little bit more love for it. But something about it that that spark is just missing. I love to visit, but I also am not mad when it's like yeah it's I, I i'm gonna leave the park now my my time has come to to move on to another one uh it, okay going and i'll just finish up with this the the last one too is that really my top four those could all be interchanged like when i got back from disneyland paris i thought that that was the greatest park and i just i loved how beautiful it was even though it's a mess in aspects i i I just loved the the look of that park. That's one that I connected with. Disney's Hollywood Studios is probably my, in terms of popular things to do, if I want to go and have a really good time, I go to I go to Disney's Hollywood Studios more than any other park here. Uh, but then, you know, there's something about a castle park that it's why, you know, Magic Kingdom, it's why I, I go back to that, even though I don't like it's a concrete jungle, I still, I still see that castle and the feelings come up and Disneyland if if we have to sit here and explain why Disneyland is amazing then I feel like that defeats the whole purpose of this show we've we've already told you how amazing it is over the years mm-hmm. but that's that's my mindset okay and I think we'll be similar in a lot of ways um, definitely so for me I have been blessed to have gone to every single park and um and that, that was always a, a bucket list um, item for me. And thanks to Dreams Unlimited Travel and the Diz, I'm, I was able to, to, you know, do all those that bucket list item. And um, now I have not. Now I do have to have a little caveat with this, in that I have not been to some of these parks since new attractions have been added to them. So I haven't seen like Mickey's Runaway Railway yet, mm-hmm. and I've not seen Galaxy's Edge at Disney's Hollywood Studios. I have not been on the big crown jewel attraction in Galaxy's Edge at either Disneyland or Disney's Hollywood Studios. So th- after I experience all that, I might be experiencing it right now as we <laughs> as the show airs. Um, I I th- my list may change. You never know. But right now, yeah, bottom of my list, Walt Disney Studio Park Paris. I mean, if people thought the original Disney California Adventure was built on the cheap, the Walt Disney Studio Park was the bargain basement of Disney California Adventure. It was just so built on the cheap. And, you know, there's a whole reason for that. Next to the bottom of my list is Disney's Hollywood Studios because there's just less things that, that, but like I said, the two crown jewels of that park right now, I have not 
been on. So it could change. Um, you know, Tower of Terror, I can only take once every few years, but I'm glad it's there. And um, I cannot ride Rock and Roller Coaster. It's just too much for me. That doesn't leave a whole lot more um, to do. I just don't find it a full sure. day's park. And now, now the Galaxy's Edge is there and the Runaway Railway is there and all that. It could change. But um, it's it's a park I don't spend a lot of time in. I love it at Christmas time. I think it's beautifully decorated. I love the, you know, the throwback to the fifties ornaments with those giant scary poodles and elves and things mm-hmm. like that. But um, anyway, so so I, I'm really looking forward to seeing what it looks like now and all that. Then my next one up from there is Disney California Adventure and a lot of it's for the same reason there's really not a lot to do in that park but they do have Avengers Campus which I've not been to yet but um, you know California Screaming or no Incredicoaster again that's another roller coaster I've not been on it and I will go on it to see what it's like but you know I've said many times I think half that park should be bulldozed I hate Pixar Pier and I hate whatever they call on the other side. That whole area starting from Little Mermaid all the way around to Incredicoaster, that should all be bulldozed as far as I'm concerned. So it's a big problem for me when you want half the park just gone. And so... Um, it is, yeah. and, and then there's not a lot in the other half to see. So um, that, again, is just a half-day park for me. I like World of Color... I like some of the restaurants there. Um, I'm glad that they have Mickey's Magic there, even though we don't have all the effects. But uh, that is one of my favorite attractions at Magic Kingdom. So it's it doesn't that park doesn't excite me. So I do like what they do at Halloween there. Then next up is Epcot. Um, This is always Carol's favorite park one of her favorite parks to me it wasn't for me i felt it was just a lovely shopping and dining mall especially as future world gets you know destroyed um a lot of what i liked about it is just going away so again we'll see what happens with um harmonious coming in and some of the other attractions that they're bringing although i don't know how much is being cut back now exactly. because of budget cuts so i don't know what it's going to look like um but um you know i don't know if guardians of the galaxy well go go coaster whatever that <laughs> thing is called is going to be um something i can ride you know so uh, and and i just don't understand how it fits in that park i i just have a whole problem with the theming of the park and how they're desperately trying to make it sound like there's a theme to it when there's really not anymore. It's yep. Magic Kingdom 2.0. Yep. So, um, anyway, I remember when I sarcastically said, yeah, what are they going to do in France? They're going to have a Beauty and the Beast sing-along. I said that years ago, sarcastically. When they actually did it, I knew that that it was hopeless for that park. <laughs> So at that point, fantastic! I look forward to seeing it go to the bottom of your list, uh, just above the <laughs> studios soon. I don't know. I don't know. I hope not, but it might be a lot of nice places to eat, though. Yeah. So um, anyway, 
Um, then Tokyo Disneyland. I love Tokyo Disneyland. It's really great. Um, you know, it's like it's like Magic Kingdom, but without the crowds. And as we talked about last week, it does have country bears. Um, it you know they have their Pirates of the Caribbean. They haven't changed all the scenes like our North American parks have. So if you're not a fan of of the up, some of the updated scenes, you can see the original at Disneyland. They even have a they even have a Blue Bayou restaurant there and all that. So um, it's a delightful, charming park. I, I really like it. Um, and boy, they have great popcorn buckets there. And they have fantastic merchandise. All the Asian parks, they have great merchandise. Then uh, Magic Kingdom at Walt Disney World. I don't have the emotional connection to it, but I do like it. I love it. I understand why people do. Um, it doesn't... It's Somehow it lacks that um, charm that Disneyland has. I think part of it is because it's not as intimate because, you know, Disneyland's 5'8 size and Magic Kingdom is full size because they needed office space. So, you know, all the buildings are full size so that they can accommodate offices on the second floor of Main Street and all that. So I think that takes away some of its charm for me and intimacy. But um, overall, I, I, lo- I like Magic Kingdom. It just it had to go somewhere. Yeah. And... Um, and all that. It, and, and they are doing better at putting in um, more foliage and things, especially as they expand yeah. and all that. It, it, every time I see a picture, though, of the trees in in the middle of the hub, it just it breaks my heart. It was such yes. a beautiful park. But I also get it that with fireworks and mm-hmm. especially now projection shows, you can't just have a bunch of trees blocking the castle. Yeah. Yeah, and I enjoy their versions of some of our attractions. I love their Haunted Mansion. I love the Hall of Presidents there, not the Muppets. I love that that reside in Liberty Square from time to time. Um, I like them at Hollywood Studios, though. Um, You know, I like, uh, you know, I'm a little disappointed with Rivers of America. I don't understand why they don't have the scenes that we have at Disneyland, uh, because... The ride's just not that interesting, and um, on on the on the on this you know riverboat, and uh, you know they have country bears and they have um, you know I love the jungle cruise out there, and with the added scenes and all that. So oh, there's a lot to love about the Magic Kingdom. I don't like the circus area; it doesn't intrigue me too much. I know I felt like they could have done more, but I'm yeah. not sure what. So then it's Shanghai Disneyland only because it's so unique and their pirate attraction and, and the, you know, their whole pirate themed land is just fascinating. And the way they, um, you know, things are, you know, the, the, the Chinese spin, the cultural spin that they have on things. And then they have things that could never be built here, you know, like that whole climbing, jungle gym structure ropes course thing that they have that is absolutely fantastic that sort of scared me a little but that um they could never be built in a north american park or maybe even a european park Mm -hmm. but um they have a lot of cool stuff there i didn't know what was being said half the time but uh (laughs) really really neat 
So, and then Hong Kong Disneyland is next. I just found this a charming park. I've not seen their new um, castle, um, but I love it. I love Mystic Manor. Uh, I mean, they've done they've done a lot to expand this park. Their Fantasyland's a little disappointing. They only have you know their only dark ride is Winnie the Pooh, and they didn't even get the good one. You know, um, like. Like uh, Tokyo has the best Winnie the yep. Pooh attraction. It's like an e-ticket, but um, they didn't get that. But it's a charming park. It's one of those parks I would love to go back to because we were in a typhoon. We didn't get to spend as much time there, and it's just uh, just this really sweet, beautiful park. Um, re- I really liked it. So, and then Tokyo Disney Sea, just because it's so unique. It's like no none of the other parks. And uh, I know they're doing a lot of expansion as well um, there, too. Their Tower of Terror is very different, as it is in Tokyo. and um, But just that whole Mediterranean area. And they have a lot of places you can explore and all of that. And, um, again, they have a few attractions we don't. Uh, Duffy the Bear reigns over there. So uh, it's just something that befuddles all of us out here. Really unique park, um, like none other. And then how you can ride. They have that working volcano, and you there's an attraction inside of it. Journey to the center of the earth. I mean, really amazing. So um, and they have a great water show, too. And then for me, Animal Kingdom. This is this is the park. This resonates with me. The way people walk down Main Street USA at Magic Kingdom and they feel their home and they feel at peace. That's how I feel when I walk into Magic Kingdom. I'm sorry, when I walk into Animal Kingdom. I love this park. And I, I, I relax immediately. I think Epcot is way hotter, that concrete jungle of Epcot, than I find Animal Kingdom, where at least there's shade and plants and all that. Um, I'm not as big a fan of Avatar and even Expedition Everest. Maybe if they ever got the Yeti working again, I might be. Although I do go on those attractions. For me, it's all the nature Aspects. I go on the safari multiple times when I can. I, I do the walks. I love, I like that bird show, although when they themed it to up, I wasn't as big a fan of it, but I like the birds. And that's the stuff that I enjoy. I'm intrigued by this kite show and hope it's um, worthwhile. And I do like the bringing in more nighttime things. I agree with you about Festival of the Lion King. I think that's a not miss for me when I go. And uh, I love a lot of the food there. And uh, so I love this park. And um, when I go out there for the 50th anniversary, that's the first park I'm going to on my first full day. And then Disneyland Paris. This is a gorgeous park. It is so beautiful. It seems so magical and fantastic. Yeah, I was disappointed that so many attractions were closed because I guess they're seasonal. But And I would love to go back to experience some of those transactions because it made no sense to me why they were closed. But it's just a beautiful, beautiful park with... um, And it has a dragon in it. So, you know, fire-breathing dragons. I mean, no other park has that. And then, of course top of my list is Disneyland, Waltz Park. That's the park I grew up in. I think it's also an absolutely beautiful park. It has more attractions crammed into it 
than any of the other um, castle parks. And um, it's just charming and beautiful and lush with beautiful gardens. And, um, you know, that's, that's, I just love that yeah. park. So that's, that's it. That's, those are, those are all mine. <laughs> it's a good choice. Good, yeah. good choices all around. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, and we're lucky to have so many to choose from. Exactly. That's, that's the most important thing of all. There's, there's no bad choices except for potentially right now Epcot and Walt Disney Studios. <laughs> yeah. And all these parks each have their own little personalities. Yeah. Too, which is interesting. So, okay. I think it's your turn now. Oh, okay. I am going to choose this one from Melissa saying, Hi, Michael and Craig. I love the podcast. I have a question that we have discussed at home and I'll have a different answer, but it is more like small questions on one topic. What is the official Disney definition of a dark ride? Is there a specific element that makes it a dark ride? Can a dark ride be a thrill ride? What is the first dark ride Disney created in the most recent at any park? Curious what your favorite ones are and why? Thanks for considering answer. answering. I am sure my definition is wrong, so I am. Oh, no. I think the rest of it got cut off there, but... Uh, oh, it says, um, so I am asking you. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. Fantastic. I might so. have cut that off when I sent it over to you. That's all good. So. Okay. Um... Okay, well, the official definition, it, it includes, it has to have several elements in it. So, a dark ride is traditionally been defined as an attraction in which riders travel past um, artificially illuminated scenes tied together by an overarching theme or narrative. Um, however, the incorporation of new technology now has sort of challenged and it's maybe expanded this definition a bit. So attractions are now classified as either traditional dark rides or hybrid dark rides, but there are sort of four elements to them that that define it as a dark ride. So the one, number one is the ride has to physically move through a three-dimensional environment. So now the, but the, and the ride can incorporate both physical movement and motion simulation, but it can't rely solely on motion simulation. So I don't know. So I'm thinking motion simulation is probably a ride, what, like Star Tours? Correct, yes. Or something. So that wouldn't be a dark ride. Exactly. So, so number two, the ride must pass through artificially illuminated scenes. Now, traditionally, these scenes are made up of three-dimensional figures, but it's not always the case. For example... Dark rides like Toy Story Midway Mania uh, used screens rather than three-dimensional figures. Thirdly, the ride has to pass by these scenes slowly enough for guests to understand them. And finally, the ride must feature an overarching theme, and it has to have a narrative structure. So all those elements make up a dark ride. So... Anyway, and the first dark ride, you know, that Disney created is really, um, you know, it was the Disneyland Fantasyland mm-hmm. attractions. 
you know, which was Mr. Toad's Wild Ride, Snow White, Scary Adventures, and at the time it was called that, and Peter Pan. Those are the three. Yep, exactly. And it's just kind of, it's evolved over the years since then. And even, you know, even before the Disneyland Dark Rides, you know, Dark Rides were a part of smaller carnivals and and other amusement parks, not mm-hmm. not themed as well as Disney's. You know, a lot were really uh, were probably be considered embarrassing compared to Disney's, but that's partly where Disney, you know, sets standards in terms of oh, absolutely uh, the next level of, of why it makes it worthwhile <laughs> going to a Disney park. I mean, that was that was the same case back in the the fifties and sixties as it is today still oh yeah because claude Coates and his use of blacklight painting fluorescent you know fluorescent paints redefined dark rides and also a lot as you you know craig you mentioned yeah dark rides were around in the late 1800s and early amusement parks they didn't always tell a story a lot of them were fright houses yeah you know things like that they didn't tell a story they were just scary scenes and things like that you know haunted castles and stuff, or the Tunnel of Love, exactly kind of things. But and Disney started to create, you know, telling a story in theirs. And can a dark ride be a thrill ride? Well, I think um, Seven Dwarfs Mine Train at the Magic Kingdom that would qualify as a dark ride and yeah. a thrill ride. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's the hard part is where I look at with dark rides. It's like if there's an if there's a true exterior portion. It, does that start to negate it? But then you have something like Alice in Wonderland, which, I mean, that is most definitely a dark ride. So it works from that. I, I don't know if I'm sold on on Mine Train, though, as a dark ride, just because of how how fast it does move in the portions, even though it's not fast for a coaster. Um, it, it might, it, it's, really, it's really on on the border there for me and a lot of the hybrid ones are it just it really comes down to your interpretation like i i don't consider dinosaur to be a dark ride even though it is a dark ride um it is oh so you wouldn't consider indiana jones at disneyland a dark ride I, i would consider both of those truly just moving motion simulator thrill rides i i know see now i consider them hybrids yeah, Which I is interesting. And I see the I see why it's a hybrid because I know people say the same thing over at Universal in terms of like Harry Potter and the Forbidden Journey that it's a that's a hybrid uh, dark ride. And that I just I feel like I maybe it's more that I don't like I don't like the idea of hybrid dark rides. Uh, maybe I I want I I would rather just have the next definition and I would like to maybe dumb down dark ride a little bit more but now there's also attractions um like mickey and minnie's runaway railway and rise of the resistance uh the well specifically with rise of resistance the ride portion of it that is that is a dark ride mickey and minnie's runaway railway is a dark ride remy's ratatouille adventure is a dark ride Mm -hmm. in those essence so dark rides haven't gone anywhere they will continue to develop but you know, even those, uh, because the, these trackless ride systems, I feel like that's at some point, if there's so many of those, then we have to start looking, well, is that, or do we want to just lump those in with dark rides? 
And do we want to consider a moving boat ride in the same category as an omni-mover ride and the same as a, a dispatched uh, vehicle like at the Fantasyland attractions? There's, there, there's a lot of working parts in there. Mm-hmm. And it's, Would you consider Pirates of the Caribbean a dark ride? I, I don't. That's where I, I draw Pirates of the Caribbean, and, and it's a small world. I, I just I call them boat rides. And okay. that's kind of where I, I leave it at that. And then something like Splash Mountain to me is where it gets messy, where it's like, okay, well, it's a boat ride. It's a log flume, but it also does move very fast. And there's those, you know, of course, there's the thrill element to it. I I, I think about these things way too much. This is what keeps me <laughs> up at night uh, is oh, trying to, to figure out what I consider this stuff. But yeah. at the end of the day, I mean, you're the list of the criteria you gave the four different ones, you know, it, at on a base level, if it meets those criteria, it should be a dark ride. Okay. Yeah. And I think the ones that, what are the most recent ones that the, the Disney created parks? I think you've already really mentioned them. Rise of the Resistance, Mickey's Runaway, Mickey Minnie's Runaway Way Away, really are probably yeah. the most recent ones. Yep. Know that. And favorite ones. So um, for me, the Disneyland, Fantasyland ones are probably my favorites. Yeah. I've not seen the new Snow White one. Um, yeah, while well, yeah. the refurbished, you know, the reimagined Snow White one yet at Disneyland. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm right there with you though. I'd say my favorite one is uh, my my favorite one's Alice in Wonderland at Disneyland, mm-hmm. particularly. That's my my absolute favorite. But I, I enjoy, you know, I enjoy a lot of those but sp- that's with me specifically since i've said dark rides to me are those fantasy land style dispatch attractions in that way that's my favorite if we start going into hybrid we're, we're gonna be here all night we could we could yeah. make three episodes <laughs> on this question <laughs> it was a good question thank you melissa okay um let's see here trying to find one it's now me choosing one let's see what we have here so um oh okay how this is from connor um what is your favorite easter egg reference to a former attraction at the parks and what former attraction land do you think deserves one of these references that doesn't if this one's going to be a very easy one for me that I, I don't have to think it at all, and I'm sorry it's so boring, but uh, my my two favorite references to an, an attraction that no longer exists, of course, is uh, having, having Captain Rex not only at Star Tours inside mm-hmm. the queue, but then also inside Galaxy's Edge as DJ Rex inside Oga's Cantina. Uh, I there's not a lot of Disney attractions that I feel like uh, over the years have been more influential to me than Star Tours, specifically the original one. Uh, that's, you know, I before I really was attached to Star Wars, all the movies, uh, I, I felt like Star Tours was my favorite movie. That was my favorite thing to do mm-hmm. and experience in the universe. And, uh, you know, that's, that's Captain Rex that sold that experience and uh it it devastated me when 
when original Star Tours left for the Star Tours, uh, the sequel to it, Star Tours, the adventures continue. Uh, granted, I love having C-3PO in the cockpit seat and and taking over everything. I, I do, I do love that. But there's, I have such a soft spot for Captain Rex and DJ Rex now that I love being able to see see them. You know, in their their two different forms as the DJ spinning all the tracks in Oga's Cantina, or then the malfunctioning one in the in the queue for Star Tours. Those are my my two absolute favorites. Okay, all right. For me, oh, do you, do you think is there someone that deserves a reference that doesn't have one? That, see, that's a that's a that's a tougher question to answer because I feel like uh, you know I, I feel like. Disney generally does a good job at trying to uh, trying to even if it's in a very subtle way to trying to pay uh, tribute to the past attractions that were that were there. Like I, you know, I I loved always seeing the horizon symbol inside Mission Space for the longest time. Just like little simple things like that. It doesn't doesn't need to be a big glaring Easter egg to the past. Sometimes just that little that little hat tip is mm-hmm. is good enough uh, for me and so i there's not really any that i think uh, you know stick out as something that i i want them to to make a, a tribute for i guess really the only one that i have you know in my mind is i would love i i would love to know what the tribute is going to be for Guardians of the Galaxy Cosmic Rewind because that one's a little bit tougher when you're I was when, thinking about yeah. that. Yeah. So that's, that's Maybe there'll be a dinosaur in there. I and that's what I assume that there'll be <laughs> something along those lines that uh, that pay tribute to what came from there before. Uh, but or you know maybe there'll be a throwaway line about Jeopardy or something along something along those lines. To, they'll come across Ellen DeGeneres. Uh, I don't think they'll do that. <laughs> I think uh, I think we can go ahead and say that if if Universe of Energy was still around to this day, it would probably they would be thinking about closing it right now. Uh, <laughs> So yeah, I just I I know it's a boring answer, but I look forward to see what they pay tribute to for universe of energy with guardians of the galaxy yeah for me of course my references uh easter egg references are at disneyland my favorite i have a couple the destroyed sky bucket in the matterhorn Mm -hmm. for our old skyway i thought i thought that was brilliant yeah yeah and in Big Thunder Mountain Railroad, we have the Rainbow Caverns, which is a, sm- a tribute to the grand finale of Mind Train Through Nature's Wonderland, where it was much larger. But I like that they still kept that in Big Thunder Mountain Railway, a smaller version of that. So, um, And it was quite a feat to design Rainbow Caverns, so back in the day. Mm-hmm that we'll talk about in a future episode when we talk about Claude Coates with Dave Bossert and Alan Coates. But uh, anyway, so those are my two favorite Easter eggs. The one that I think deserves a reference, um, well, there is sort of a reference to it in that it's abandoned track, is there as a reminder to us in our sad 
embarrassing Tomorrowland. Um, and that's the people mover because it's mm-hmm. not coming back, kids. And our Tomorrowland is just an embarrassment. They can't even finish the new entranceway that they've been promising us for a couple of years now. Right. And I mean, that's on hold. And so, um, but there, there should be a homage to that wonderful, wonderful attraction. I, I agree. It should that. never have been closed. Damn you, Michael Eisner. <laughs> so, anyway, Listen, we all make mistakes. It's uh, you know, and one day, one day, hopefully, we're all given the chance to um, to to make up for those mistakes. And you know, Michael oh, I Eisner, thought you said one day we'll get a chance to get even with him. <laughs> we'll have a chance to make up. I feel like you know, Michael Eisner is. He's he's done maybe he's he put BoJack Horseman in the world and people loved that show on Netflix so maybe maybe that was what made up for it I don't think okay. Disney fans would agree but hmm. uh, the <laughs> only one I want to mention too that I also get tickled over every time I see it is I I love Frozen Ever After at Epcot I think it's delightful and i but i did love maelstrom too so i get happy every time i'm going through the queue and i see the one banner that has the three trolls and the 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 rock head yeah yeah that is a good one okay good good question here so believe it's my term 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 to ask you the next one and this one comes from our friend gene they're all our friends, but Gene's the friend right now. What's your take on Disney's decision to drop management of the Queen Mary and any thought of a return to the original version of that area in Long Beach? A U.S. Disney Sea kind of development? Thanks in advance. Oh, Gene, 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 Gene. Boy, has the Queen Mary been in the news out in California <laughs> lately? Um, okay. Well, this goes back to the original Disneyland Hotel, this whole story. Speaking of Michael Eisner, when he became CEO in September 1984, one of the things that really annoyed him, amongst other many others, was that there was a hotel called the Disneyland Hotel that the Walt Disney Company did not own. And what was worse is because of the Rather Company's Rather Company's um, declining fortunes, the hotel was falling into disrepair. And people really, all they saw was the Disney name on that hotel. And so that it was reflecting badly on the Disney brand. So Eisner also wanted the acreage around the hotel. And, and, and he was upset that he was prevented from building you know, other competing hotels in Southern California area. So when the Walt Disney Company was finally able to purchase and gain control of the Rather Corporation that owned the Disneyland Hotel, the deal included the Queen Mary and the Spruce Goose that was housed there at the time, as well as the London Town Village, which was a collection of shops and restaurants that were between the plane and the um, ship. So... At first, Disney didn't officially promote this whole entertainment complex in Long Beach as a Disney venue, but they did try to make it profitable by offering specially themed tours. They restored the staterooms and suites for overnight guests, and they upgraded the shop and restaurants so guests would feel they were in 1939. 
And they even offered it as part of the Disneyland packages. And you would get it with a three-day passport. And finally, you got free admission for Disneyland guests. But And that's how me and my family, that's how we saw all of that, because it was part of our package. So on our, you know, as we drove home, we stopped off in Long Beach and saw the Queen Mary in London Town and the Spruce Goose and all that. Problem Disney learned very quickly was once people were at Disneyland, they really didn't want to go to Long Beach. So in another effort to make the acquisition profitable, Disney announced in 1990 that the Queen Mary and Spruce Goose would be the centerpiece for a new theme park and resort area that was going to be called Port Disney and later um, Disney Sea. And this was a huge complex, and there's a lot of stuff online about it. There are some people, though, that believe that Michael Eisner wasn't really serious about Port Disney, and it, he was really using it as a strong arm for Anaheim to approve the Westcott theme park that was planned to be built next to Disneyland because uh, he, he made it clear it was going to be either Port Disney or or Westcott and Anaheim. They could only build one, not both. And Eisner said that a new theme park would be built in the community that wanted them more. So he sort of pitched them against each other. There were also other issues, though, at work here. Um, The plans for the Long Beach project fell through due to a poor public reception by the people who lived near um, the Long Beach port there. And there were concerns about traffic. There was opposition by the port of Long Beach and the California Coastal Commission because in order to really build out This area, they needed more land. So there was going to be dredging and landfill required in order to build Port Disney. And a survey identified that at least $27 million at the time was needed just for the ship. That number, that dollar amount has grown to an astronomical amount of money today to um, repair that ship. Um, Disney decided to abandon the lease in the venue in March 1992. Uh, It continued to operate the attraction until September 30th at the end of the fiscal year for there. So now what's been in the news lately is that the company responsible for operating the Queen Mary declared bankruptcy. And just in the last day or so of we're recording this, all kinds of news has come out how... um, even before the pandemic, they were defaulting on all their creditors and everything. And I mean, it's just, it's become a, pretty much a scandal now. And it, it's forced the city of Long Beach to take over operations. And an inspection has indicated the vessel may be in danger of capsizing. And it's going to, rec- when I first researched this back in last spring, it was going to require more than $20 million in critical safety fixes. That has grown to, um, I've seen numbers, you know, $52 million, over $100 million, um, you know, to bring this ship up to um to where it's viable so it's it's in um it's in peril right now the queen mary sounds like it i've never visited 
Yeah, it's a lovely ship, but you know th- they're talking about、um, sinking it. Towing it out and sinking it and making it a reef, but they're talking. Oh, they're talking about、uh, you know scrapping it, but it costs tens of millions of dollars just to do either of those things as well.、Hmm. It, you know, so、um, there's no easy answer to what Long Beach is going to do、um, with the Queen Mary. Yeah, that's that's a shame. But you have me—I didn't realize the Spruce Goose was still around. So you have me sold. Oh, going to the Spruce、that. Goose—it's、um, been sold,、oh, and、okay. I believe. Oh, I think it's in Oregon or someplace like that now.、Um, what the rest of that property is being used now for is a port. I believe Carnival uses it. Oh,、okay. Carnival Cruise Lines、okay. is one, and so that big dome that the Spruce Goose was under is a.、Um, It's it's the you know it's for guests passengers who are boarding and and disembarking the ships、gotcha. that come into port there. I know I've seen in some of the recent photos. There's been a lot of photos of the Queen Mary lately.、Um, I've seen Carnival ships docked there. I don't know if any other cruise lines use it. Like in the Carnival, you know, Carnival owns a lot of cruise lines.、Mm-hmm. So I don't know if Princess docks there when.、Um, Like when the, we took years ago, many years ago, so our children were in high school. We took the children on a Mexican Riviera cruise with Princess. We went out of Long Beach, but not out of that port. Yeah, that particular port.、Um, oh, there's another. Oh, there's also another little thing there too.、Um, they bought a Soviet submarine, one of the operators of the Queen Mary, as another tourist attraction. That thing's about to sink. Oh, as、good. well, due to not、um, managing it properly, and that I, I think I read there's like no hope of saving that. Good as well. So、um, yeah, old World War II Soviet submarine. It was open for tours for a while, but that's just been completely neglected. You don't even hear people talking about it anymore. I'm well, except for now.、Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think because the Queen Mary is, you know. Is is primary concern right now? True, true. Anyway, so that's that. Okay. Do we have time for one more? Yeah, I think we have time for one more each. Okay, so it's my turn, right? Yes. Okay. Well, I'm going to ask you a fun one here, Spencer. Our friend Spencer is asked. Have either of you ever seen an alligator or crocodile on Walt Disney World property? If so, could you please share your experience? So, Craig, how about you? Yeah, I've I've seen a lot, and、uh, I, I know you have too, Michael. Right?、Mm-hmm. Yeah,、mm-hmm. I have.、Um, are probably in some of the same places. Yeah. So the first place I ever saw an alligator at Walt Disney World, I'm going to say it was probably inside Splash Mountain. It had like a straw hat on and was、uh, somewhere, you know, somewhere throughout the attraction. I think、uh, Brer Frog was sitting on one as well too. At one point in time,、uh, there around- was a similar looking one at America Sings at Disneyland.、Oh. That's where I saw one of my first ones. Yeah, yeah. and I, yeah, yeah, that would make sense. That would make sense. And <laughs> you know, I think I've, I've seen some.、Uh, you know, I, I definitely have seen crocodiles at the Jungle Cruise, but. I'm not, you know, maybe. Yeah, maybe, me too. Me yeah. Too, yeah.、Um, 
And, uh, of course, living with the land, there's also reptilian creatures that you can see there as well. Uh, uh, a- Animal Kingdom. Of course, I've I've spotted I've spotted crocodiles while I'm out on safari before. Always very mm. very exciting. I've walked over them on a oh. on a rope bridge. How terrifying! And and they and they opened their mouth and smiled at me. They were so happy to see me. Oh, well, I mean, I'm glad that <laughs> someone's smiling at you. I, I've always <laughs> been told never smile at a crocodile, but uh, I, I guess if well, they're I... smiling at you, it's okay. <laughs> yeah. Just don't smile back. Uh, and then, uh, you know, of course, too, I'd be remiss without saying, over at Blizzard Beach, there's this crazy blue alligator that hangs out there as well, too, and... Mm-hmm. Yeah, those are those are some of the best alligators that I've seen, and of course more I crocodiles croc- too. Like I saw a crocodile in Peter Pan exactly. in Fantasyland. Yeah, yeah, that too. Yeah, yeah. I did. <laughs> so Spencer, we're having a lot of fun with you. When we read this, when we read this, Craig immediately came up with this idea. So. I, I did. But so I, I apologize. <laughs> no, I mean I have seen real ones on property, like when um, I've gone on cruises around the various lakes and stuff at Walt Disney World. But I did, I did share this with Craig a while back. I did have an interesting experience where um, I was at, I was in the Magic Kingdom. I was at Frontierland. I don't know if I was with Carol. I might have been. I was with somebody. And over near the boat dock for the Liberty Bell, there was cast members standing there and they were sort of trying to half-heartedly keep guests away. But there was a bunch of guests, and I went over and looked, and there was an alligator, a crocodile, something there in the rivers of America. And I asked the cast member, is this normal? And he said, this is actually an alligator we know, that we know hangs out here. It's just that he's come now close to the dock. So yeah. we're sort of trying to keep guests away. But he's, re- at the time, he was routinely seen in the rivers of America. Yeah. So. And that's, you know, I, I've seen them in there from time to time because Disney does try to remove them uh, when they when they can actually get them. Uh, I've never seen any large alligators at Walt Disney World. I'll, I'll say that much. I mean, I guess that's a subjective amount, but I've never seen like... I've never seen like the size of alligators you might see on on Kilimanjaro safaris. I've never seen the alligators like I'm sure we've all seen the viral videos at one point in time on YouTube, Facebook of like 20 foot alligators walking across a golf course that do exist in Florida. Uh, mm-hmm. But I've I've never I've never seen one that size in my life, let alone in at Walt Disney World. Um, but you know, close to where my house is, and, and at Walt Disney World, I, I'd say it's it's always common to see uh, see alligators that are usually you know four feet or less. Four four feet is kind of like the that's kind of that that length of where really they start looking at trapping and uh, uh, not to. Not to beat around the bush on it, but eliminating the alligators at that length. But uh, you'll you spot you'll spot little two foot, three foot ones here and there all the time if you you keep your eyes out and you're you're looking in the in the lakes. But you're not seeing like eight foot, ten foot, twenty foot ones. 
I know 20 foot ones, that's ridiculous, but you know, eight foot, 10 foot gators, you're not seeing them just sitting outside on the edge of the water. Um, that's Disney would take care of that immediately if that was a, a happening. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, anyway, so that was a lot of fun. It was. Yeah. I, I mean, we had fun with it. Sorry for not taking your question seriously, Spencer. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> let's, uh, let's end on a good one here from Chris. Some time ago, I heard that when the Walt Disney... Uh, I can't read questions. Some time ago, I heard that when the Small World song was originally written, it was intended to be more of a ballad or a solemn slow song. But Walt had it changed to what we know today. Any information on that? Yeah, absolutely, and you're and you're right, Chris. That's how it was written. Um, well, go, well, let's first talk about Harriet Burns. Um, Weds, uh, you know, um, Walt, you know, first female Imagineer, and she was working on the attraction, and she recalled Walt explaining to Richard and Robert Sherman that you know it's a small world after all, and that throwaway comment got them to thinking. And, and 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 it's and it's funny because there were a couple other comments like it's a great big beautiful tomorrow and all that you know it was Walt that sparked them to think of that song and that title so so it was Walt saying it's a small world after all that sparked them to come up with the idea for the song and they came up with a very slow heartfelt song that's called it's a small world and that's how they wrote it very slow heartfelt and and it's and it has been recorded that way um richard sherman later explained it was written as a ballad and not in the jingly up tempo that you know we've always known but walt requested a more cheerful sped up version so they modified it and walt was impressed with the modification and he said that'll work and then he said um come with me and then they went on to something else. And, of course, Walt saying that'll work meant that it was great. That was the way he complimented you to your face. Now, the in the attraction's very simple theme song lies, you know, in an unwavering central focus on tolerance, empathy, and kindness. And going back to when it was written, this was written a very short time after the Cuban Missile Crisis, which is a very frightening time in our country because it was the closest we had ever come to nuclear war. And so the lyrics describe a world of hope and a world of fears before urging listeners to remember that there's so much that we share. And Richard Sherman described this as a simple, simple child's prayer to respect each other and to love each other. And that that's what we're saying without saying those words. And Walt got that. And that's why he loved that song so much. And I, and I think as much as it becomes, you know, an earworm, I think that's what we have to remember, is that it is a child's prayer to respect and love each other. And, and we, we need to remember what's at the heart of that song as we hear it incessantly on that attraction. <laughs> that's beautiful. <laughs> yeah, I think so. So we can thank Walt and the Sherman brothers for that. Yes, and that's a better better history on the song that you'll get than watching an episode of Behind the Attraction on Disney Plus. <laughs> oh well, 
Have they done one on It's a Small World? I haven't. I'm not caught up on that series. They did, and I think they like mention some of this like over the course of like ten seconds, but don't dedicate nearly the amount of time that you just did, which oh. is why shows like this and other work that that people are doing on the internet are very important. I agree. I agree. Well, thank you. Thank you for that. And thank you for the question, too. Well, I'm sorry that we couldn't get to everybody's questions in theme parks, but we'll do this again in a few months. So if we didn't get to your question this time, um, resubmit it or, or think of a new one, maybe, if, or submit as many as you like. Sometimes, you know, it's quantity. We'll, we'll sooner or later get to one. Mm-hmm. So... Um, but uh, but now it's time for me to ask Craig some questions for this week in Disney history. Okay, Craig. Well, here we are, the week of September twelfth. So uh, anyway, so let's start out with with a fun one: Davy Crockett Indian Fighter. It aired on Walt Disney's ABC TV series on September 12, 1958. Now, this series was previously known as Disneyland since 1954, but this is the first episode of the series under its new title. What is the series' new title? I believe the second iteration was Walt Disney Presents. You are absolutely right. So, And he presented Davy Crockett, which was... A phenomenon, <laughs> yes. to say the least. So, okay. September 13th. Walt Disney's father, Elias, passed away in Los Angeles, California at the age of 82 on September 13th, 1941. Where was Walt at the time of his father's passing? Oh, in 1941, would he have been on his uh, in the middle of the Goodwill tour? Exactly. He's currently in South America in the middle of a 10-week trip. And, of course, that would give us some of a couple of our favorite favorite um, shows, like yeah. Saludos Amigos exactly. and The Three Caballeros. Yep. Yeah. And, and Mary Blair really gets discovered Very by true. Walt on this trip. So it was definitely a trip that changed the Disney company. Okay, September 14th, Disney's very first Saturday morning animated television shows debut on NBC and CBS on September 14th, 1985. What are the titles of these shows? You may have watched them, maybe in repeats or something. Um, I know Gummy Bears was one. Absolutely. On NBC, Disney's Adventures of the Gummy Bears. And how many were there total? Two. So you got the NBC one. So there was also one on CBS. Oh, I this must be one that I don't know because I know DuckTales was a little later and obviously then mm-hmm. Chippendale and the rest. So mm-hmm. Rescue I, Rangers. Yeah, yeah, I don't. I'm not sure. <clears throat> the Wuzzles on CBS. Never heard so of it. Dis- Dis- well, there's a reason for that. 
Disney's Adventures of the Gummy Bears is the first animated production by Walt Disney Animation Television. And it was loosely inspired by the gummy bear candies. Disney CEO Michael Eisner was struck with inspiration for the show when his son requested the candies one day. So I guess, you know, the the Sherman brothers, as we mentioned earlier, were inspired by Walt to write It's a Small World and... Michael Eisner's inspired by his son wanting candy to launch Disney's Adventures of the Gummy Bears. So you never know where inspiration's going to strike. The mm-hmm. series will air for four seasons on NBC before moving to ABC for one season in 1989. Now, The Wuzzles features a variety of short-rounded animal characters. Each is called a Wuzzle, which means to mix up. And it's narrated by Stan Freeberg, I'm a big fan of. Um, there were only 13 episodes of The Wuzzles. It was one of the shortest-running animated series produced by Disney, which is probably why you never yep. heard of it. Yep, I Maybe mean, it'll end up on Disney Plus one day. Uh, uh, I would be okay with that. I'm, I'm sure I watched it at some point in time, but it just, you know, if it was on a rerun, but it clearly didn't leave a uh, lasting memory for me. I'm pretty sure my children watched The Gummy Bears. Um, at least in its latter, as it, you know, later, they were a little young when it first started, but, um, I don't remember them watching the Wuzzles at all. I think they were too young. Gummy bears stuck around a long time. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I remember when they had the Disney Avenue, Disney afternoon, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, at Disneyland when they didn't know what to do with the motorboat cruise and that whole promenade, it's a small world, and he themed it this afternoon. Our children knew every single one of those cartoons. Yep. So, anyway, so I know they watched it. Okay, September 15th, a special fountain is presented to Tokyo Disneyland by Walt Disney Productions on September 15th, 1983, in commemoration of the park's fifth five millionth guest. What classic Disney film is the fountain inspired by? I obviously don't. <laughs> Having not been, I'm not sure. So maybe Fantasia? No, that's a good guess, though. But it's Cinderella's Fountain. Oh, that makes sense. Inspired by the 1950 animated film Cinderella, since they also have Cinderella Castle. Yeah. That's the one thing that irritates me about the castle parks. I really think every castle park should have a castle dedicated to a very different Disney princess. Yep, I agree with that. And um, and, and now now they it's a conglomeration. I guess all the princesses live in dormitories in <laughs> Shanghai and Hong Kong. I don't know. So. Yeah. <laughs> so, that seems like a cop-out to me. A little bit. Uh, anyway. September 16th, what I consider the very best television special about Walt Disney aired as part of the wonderful world of Disney on ABC on September 16th, 2001. It was narrated by Dick Van Dyke. Two-hour show features interviews with some of the people who knew Walt best. What is the title of this documentary? Um, I'm not, I'm not sure. It's Walt, the man behind the myth. Oh, I didn't realize that was on ABC. Yeah, yeah, that's where I first saw it. Huh. 
And for those of you who missed it, you can purchase the DVDs or Blu-rays of this documentary from the Walt Disney Family Museum website. It is, should everybody listening to this show, this should be in your collection. It is way better than that PBS American Experience um, documentary that was on because they interview people no longer with us in a lot of cases who worked with Walt. And it was produced by the Walt Disney Family Foundation. You know, and Diane Disney Miller and her son Walt Jr. and uh, and um, they use the and they they use a lot of the interviews they gathered for this documentary are in the Walt Disney Family Museum, in a lot of the interactive exhibits and in the videos. So you, if you don't already have this, you will be thrilled mm-hmm. when you you know to add this to your collection. I watched this. Very often, because it's just so good. Anyway, so I don't know. I should get a royalty from the Walt Disney Family Museum for plugging it. You should. I agree. (laughs) Anyway. Okay, September 17th. There's also a book that I think acts as their museum catalog that is Walt the Man Behind the Myth as well. Um, September 17th. After being removed in July... Which Tomorrowland fixture returned to Walt Disney World's Magic Kingdom with a brand new look on September 17th, 2019? I'm I'm completely blanking on this. It's too new. <laughs> it's it's and it's something we can't manage to build at Disneyland. The Tomorrowland marquee. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think you covered it. <laughs> I actually did not. Um oh, I mean, I well, obviously, I've seen it every single time I've been in Magic Kingdom since then. But uh, there was video of it on the Diz. I so I September of 2019. I would have been in. Um, I would have been in uh, at Disneyland at, at California oh, Adventure for okay. the Oogie Boogie Bash and oh, all of that. Okay. So I think Gosh, that was you have a good time. memory. Yeah, I, I know I definitely wasn't there. I remember someone else had to go over and take photos of it. So that's the okay. only reason I remember that. Okay. All righty. All righty. Okay, and finally, September 18th. Ron Schneider arrived in Orlando, Florida on September 18th, 1982 to prepare for his newest role. He has been hired to play a wizard named Dreamfinder for Epcot's Journey into Imagination Pavilion, which will debut with the new theme park on October 1st, although the actual attraction, Journey into Imagination's Figment, won't open until March 1983. Prior to portraying Dreamfinder, he was a performer at Disneyland in what role? Oh, um... I... I don't know if I know the answer to this. Yeah, well, see, I always try to tie things in as much as possible to the main show. He had been appearing in the Golden Horseshoe Review at Disneyland. I was going to guess that, but I didn't. Yeah. I, I didn't feel comfortable enough to guess wrong. Oh, see, you got to go with your gut sometimes. <laughs> anyway, you did well this yeah, week. Not bad, <laughs> especially after all the questions in the main show. Yes, lots of the 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 episode of questions. All right. Well, you know, last week we mentioned that we are have we're going to include you again in another episode of the show, not just with 
the questions next week for the uh, you know what's left over and all the other categories. But for Walt Disney World's 50th anniversary show that we're going to do here on Connecting with Walt, and we talked about we want you to share your memories along with Craig and I are going to share some of our favorite memories of Walt Disney World, and. Uh, and but we're you and you can send in like you do for your questions. You can email us your favorite memories and we'll read them off. Or Craig has come up with other ways that you can be a part of the show. Craig, do you want to go over that? Yeah, if you uh, want to submit audio that we can play during the show of you sharing your memory, then uh, please do so. We don't, unfortunately, we're not going to be able to get something set up where you can just go to like a a website and and record a message that way. That would that would be wonderful. We're just we're not going to be able to make that happen. So we're going to have to do it the old-fashioned manual way, and that's by you you jumping in and recording your own audio. You know, if you have a if you have an iPhone, you have the voice memo app that is a part of that and then you can send that to you can send that through an email um dropbox is if you don't have a dropbox account that is something you can sign up for free and get more space than you need to upload an audio file to that and then you can send us the link to the audio on dropbox it's just it's that easy if you're on an android phone i know that there's plenty of apps that you can uh, download that are voice recorder apps as long as you you know go to the app store and and type in voice recorder you can find find uh, the proper the proper applications that way and the same thing goes with the computer you know on a, on your computer if you have a Mac you can use QuickTime and record your voice audio that way uh, plug in headphones that have a microphone it's going to be a little bit better obviously but there's um, those are pretty much, I want to say, the easiest ways to be able to record it is pretty much through your phone, through a voice app. And then then however you want to send it, you can email us directly. Uh, for mine, I think I said it on the last one. Uh, for Even though I say at the end of the show, Craig at WDWinfo.com, that account has a much smaller uh, space amount for me. Uh, than my other email address, Craig at DisneyInfo.com. So if you're sending me clips, make sure it's to Craig at DisneyInfo.com. Otherwise, eventually my inbox is going to fill up and you're going to get a bounce back. But the best, the most ideal way is if you want to set up a Dropbox account, if you don't have one, set up an account on that. Again, completely free. You can upload the file to Dropbox and then email the link to it and then i can download it manually and the same thing goes with google drive if you're familiar with google drive you prefer that you can also use that any any file sharing service uh, along those lines um, and again if you're uncomfortable with all of those suggestions oh siri doesn't care for that i hope that didn't show up into the show um, but <laughs> if you're uncomfortable with that again you can just email us uh, your memory and and we will get that celebrity guest to to read your message in your voice. Ooh, a celebrity guest. Like oh, Michael that's Bowling exciting. Or Craig Williams. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. Okay. So, yeah, that'll be fun. I'm really looking forward to this. We've not done this before. 
Nope. So this is, this is a fun way to make you a part of the show. I've, so I'm looking forward to this. And I assume what probably next week or so we'll give a deadline for when uh, we'd like these submitted. Yes, we will give the. You still have time as you're listening to this. We'll give you the. We'll give you the final deadline once I. Okay. Uh, I'll give it one more week, and then I'll give the harsh deadline. Okay. Sounds good. All righty. And I mentioned at the top of the show that we are, I'm in Florida this week. I'm at the Magic, you know, I'm at Walt Disney World this week before the Give Kids the World Dis Family Reunion. And I will be in Walt Disney World for the 50th anniversary. So, and also for Destination D, the D23 Destination D. So I hope I get to see some of you. And please don't be shy to come up and say hello and all that. So wear your Connecting with Walt shirts and, uh, you know, so that I can spot you right away and all that. Because you, you know I'll be wearing mine, most likely. So anyway, so I, I hope to see a lot of you when I'm in. I'm, go- I'm going to Walt Disney World a whole lot more, and I'm going to Disneyland this year. I mean, so. it's it just it's timing. It's how it all works yeah. out. <laughs> it is. Yeah, boom, boom, boom. Next year it'll be Disneyland because I assume it'll be the D23 Expo. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They've already given the dates out for that. Yeah. I so probably right. next yeah. year will be my Disneyland year, most likely. I mean, so. it was supposed to be earlier in the year and Disneyland never reopened. So. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All righty. Well, Craig, until next time, how can our listeners connect with you? Uh, as always, you can find me on all the shows I'm on on the Diz Unplugged Podcast Network. And you can find me on social media at Teleclaster on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And then you can email me just uh, text at <laughs> Craig at WDWinfo.com. And if it's large files, send that to Craig at DisneyInfo.com. But Michael, what about you? You can send me messages at Michael at WDWinfo.com. Twitter, I'm at MBowling121. Facebook, I'm Michael Bowling dash connecting with Walt. Instagram, I'm Michael Bowling the Diz. And you can connect with me and Craig on Twitter at our Connecting with Walt Twitter account at Connecting Walt. If you would like to listen to more shows on the history of Walt Disney, his studios, his Imagineers, and Disneyland, check out our Disneyland podcast archives for my Disney history episodes on the link Craig includes in our show notes or at disunplug.com and look for past episodes of Connecting with Walt on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, Pandora, and Amazon Podcasts, where you can subscribe to our show and leave some positive reviews and ratings when possible. So thank you for making us a part of your day. And remember, I only hope that we don't lose sight of one thing. That was all started by a man, Walt Disney, and his brother Roy. Roy.